Welcome to Living Word Church. Let's hear from Pastor Scott as he teaches us from our Pray Like Paul series. So I want to get right to it. So continuing in our Pray Like Paul series, I want to read Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 in verse 14 through 19. There's nothing like opening with God's word. So if you have your copy of the word of God, you can read along with me. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So I remember in October of 1983, I boarded an airplane in New Orleans and flew to San Diego, California. I think I got there about 1, 2 in the morning. We were herded onto buses. And then it began a whirlwind. I got off the bus at Marine Corps Recruit Depot in San Diego, California, stepped onto the yellow footprints, and chaos ensued. I think we were up for, I don't know, it was midnight the following night when we finally laid in something, you couldn't call it a bed, you couldn't call it a bunk, you had to call it a rack, and I was on the top rack, and I was laying at attention because I was told that we laid in bed at attention, so I was locked up in attention, laying in the bed, and the lights were out, I had no hair, my beautiful blonde hair was gone. Yes, that's, that's right. I once had long, hippie, blonde hair. It was gone. And I was scared to death. What in the world have I done? And Staff Sergeant LaGuardia, was our senior drill instructor that had been assigned to us, I could hear him walking between the rows of racks, clump, 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 clump as his boots would echo on the concrete floors. And he told, he began to tell us stories. As we lay in attention, he told us about men like Chesty Puller, which every Marine will close the day out by saying, Good night, Chesty. Probably the most famous of all Marines, Chesty Puller. He told us the stories of Chesty and men like Pappy. Boeington, yes, he was, he was a real person, and uh, John Lejeune. And he told us the story of Sergeant Herbert Thomas, who at the Battle of Coromakina Lagoon in the Solomon Islands on 7 November 1943, he had been clearing machine gun nests with his platoon, and they had taken out two, but there was one pesky machine gun nest that was still active and it was taking down, cutting down Marines 
And so he positioned his platoon or his squad in such a way as to take this machine gun nest out and was about to, to, to storm that machine gun nest under the cover of fire of his squad when a grenade rolled into their fighting hole. Sergeant Herbert Thomas threw his body onto the grenade, taking the full brunt of the blast, dying instantly, thus saving those men who were in the hole with him. So we're talking about love today, and our text is about love. And Jesus said in John 15 that there's no greater love. Greater love has none than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. So was that the type of love that Paul is asking us to pray for? You know, we learn in a lot of different ways. One way that we learn is through these ears God has given us auditorily. We hear things, we process things as we hear them, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we do learn things. You, you come here, hopefully you come here to worship God, but to learn his ways, right? So learning is important, but we also learn experientially. So I heard these stories of the love of these Marines, but is that t- this type of love? There's a dialogue that goes on in the book of Job. It's a tremendously long book. It's an awesome book, right? And we know that Job is synonymous with affliction. Like if you think you're having a bad day, week, year, Just put yourself in Job's shoes. The guy lost everything. And so he's lamenting what he has lost. He's having this dialogue with his friends. And they're saying, man, you just need to get right with God. there's, There's definitely, there has to be some type of sin that has brought all this affliction on you. And for 37 chapters, it goes on. 37 chapters of just uh, all of this back and forth between Job and his friends. And in Chapter 38, God shows up, and I guess you could call it a come to the incarnate Jesus moment for Job. God answers Job, the Bible says there in 38, out of, out of a whirlwind, and so we see basically what God says to Job and to his friends is, who are you? Who are you to question me? What, what is this? All? So God kind of like really says, hey, Let's get some things straight. And so he goes on, chapter 38, chapter 39, chapter 40, and chapter 41, and God is setting the record straight. He's, he's basically saying to us, who are you? Where were you when I put all of this into motion? And so you get to verse 5, and Job utters these words. After God has been has been dialoguing for four chapters. Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. It was like an epiphany. It was like the lights had come on for Job. He said, I've heard about you, God, but now with my own eyes, I've seen it. So he went from auditory learning to experiential learning. And we look at our text. What a prayer, right? What a prayer. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said of this, this particular prayer that it was Jacob's ladder. And it, like, I think 
maybe Paul might have really, he would have gotten in trouble with some of my college English professors for a run-on sentence. Because Paul would start a sentence and it's just like going on and on and on and on. And that's what we see here. Spurgeon called it Jacob's Ladder because as you, as you hit each rung, each little phrase, you're climbing higher and higher on this ladder until you reach finally heaven. So Paul, a little context, he's writing from a jail cell. This is a prison epistle. He's, he's in jail for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And really, he's worried that they're worried. He's concerned that they might be overly concerned for him. That's Paul's heart right here. And so when we get to our text, when it says, for this reason, that's the reason we're talking about. He's concerned about their concern for him. And he's saying, don't sweat it. This is all good. This is all God's plan. This is for your good. And so he says, for this reason. And then the next thing we see is the posture. Haven't y'all loved this pray like Paul? Like, get the book if you haven't got it yet. Read the book. It will, it will revolutionize the way that you pray. It will take your, your prayer from earthly to heavenly. From a temporal mindset to an eternal mindset. Get the book and read it. But we see his posture. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees. Not like we, we bow sometimes like this, but he says, no, I bow my knees. He's down. He's in total submission to God. He's, he's in a posture of submission. And he says, I bow my knees. And then watch the ladder that you would be strengthened with power in your inner being. So that's the first rung. You need some strength, some power in your inner being so that, take another step up, Christ would dwell in your heart by faith, that he would be at home there. Take another step up that you might be rooted and grounded in love. Take another step up that you might be able to comprehend. Take another step up that you would know the love of Christ. Take the last step up that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what Spurgeon called Jacob's ladder. So pray with me if you will. Father, we thank you for your word. Help me help us be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I want to look at four dimensions as we focus in on this Jacob's ladder, on the rung that's dealing with comprehending the love of Christ being rooted and grounded in the beautiful gift of love. The first thing we're going to see is that we must pray to be rooted and grounded in God's love. Next, we're going to look and see that we must pray that our church family would have power to comprehend Christ's love. Next, we must pray that we might persevere to know what is really unknowable. And last, we must pray that knowing the love of Jesus would result in spiritual maturity. So, first of all, we must be rooted and grounded in God's love. That's something that we need to be praying about, that God would root us, that he would ground us in love. So in Ephesians 3 and 17, right, he says that, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded 
and love. So we see two metaphors used here, right? One is agriculture and the other is architectural. So Jacob's ladder, the first thing is that we would be strengthened by the Spirit in the inner man that Christ would, would become more than just a guest. Sometimes he's just a guest. Let's be honest. We have him in the guest bedroom. But he's saying, I want you to be strengthened by the Spirit with might in the inner man that Christ would become more than just a guest in your heart. That he would take up permanent residence. That he would be the master of the house. Pray for this. For that reason, pray, step on, up on the ladder and grab that rung, right? That you might climb and he might be at home. And the result is that you might be rooted and grounded in love. You're, we're never going to be rooted and grounded in love. Those things that 1 Corinthians 13 talked about, we'll never get there unless Christ takes up residence in us permanently. Not as a guest, but as Lord. And truly has the ownership where we can bow both knees to him. So to be rooted, grounded in love. That's the result. Love is the main principle of the Christian life. It's what it's all about. And that's what 1 Corinthians 13 told us earlier. It's where we begin, right? Everybody memorizes this verse, John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's rooted and ground. That is the roots. That is the grounding that we need that God gave. He so loved that he gave. Matthew 22 and verse 36, you'll remember this, this rich ruler comes to Jesus and he says, teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? He's trying to, to trip Jesus up, right? Which is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So it's, it's the basis of the Christian life. It's how we are rooted and grounded. Now, what is, we're looking at these metaphors. The first thing Paul says is that we need to be rooted. So what is root, rooted? A tree, right? A plant, but specifically a tree. And we know that a rooted tree is sturdy. It's growing. It's deep into the soil, it can withstand a drought like we just had. It can withstand the hurricanes that frequent our climate. It can withstand because it's a living, growing organism. And God's love for us is the soil. And he's telling us, be rooted. I I'm praying that you would be rooted in God's love, that that would be the source of the nutrients of your life. I believe it's one of the main reasons God put us here. 
is that we would enjoy loving, growing relationships. He doesn't want us to be alone. In fact, he, he says that it's not good to be alone. So he wants us to be in relationship foremost with him, but with others. So he gave us beautiful women like my wife. Right? Because he doesn't want us to be alone. We, we're rooted in love in these, in these ways. So if, when you think about it, think about the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. What's the first one mentioned? The first is love. The first is love. We need the Spirit of God because love is a fruit from Him, right? So we pray to be, re- to be rooted deep in God's love. But next, he says, we pray to be grounded in God's love. So here comes the second metaphor from architecture. A solid building is built on a rock, right? A solid building has a good foundation. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Man, I could imagine the foundation under this building. I built a church one time with these hands, and I remember standing in the footer. The hole was so deep where the posts were going to go that I could not see out over the form boards. That's a firm foundation, and that's what Paul is saying. I'm praying that your foundation would be grounded in love, that it would be sturdy, solid, supporting everything else in life. Have you known love? Different degrees. We all come from different backgrounds, right? The way that my mom and dad loved me and taught me to love may be different from the way you taught love. Maybe you didn't have a good uh, role model to teach you love. Maybe uh, you learned the opposite of love. But we all come from different backgrounds. We all love differently, right? But when we are born again, we are born again. And this lens that I once had, that I see love through must change my grounding needs to change thank god for the grounding that my parents gave me but i want to be grounded on god's love not theirs i want to be rooted in god's love more than anything else right Because we all have differing experiences with love, but we all share the same experience with God's love. Because we all share one common denominator, we're lost and sinful without Him. So Paul says, I'm praying that you would be rooted and grounded in love. That's the lens that changes. It's the lens that changes everything, right? It's the motive for all that we do, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 13. Pray to be rooted, church. 
Pray to be rooted in God's love. Pray that we are rooted in God's love. Pray that we are grounded in God's love, that it is the motive for all that we do. You think about knowledge, right? What about knowledge? Knowledge is important. In fact, God says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. But Paul knows that knowledge without love is fruitless. Not only is it fruitless, it is dangerous. In 1 Corinthians 8, he's dealing with uh, offering food to idols, right? But let's pick up in 1 Corinthians 8, in verse, the latter part of verse 1. He says, we know, and then in exclamation points here, we know that all of us possess knowledge. That I'm kind of like putting those enunciations myself because it's in quotations. I believe there's a little sarcasm here in this text. We know that all possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagined that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Without love, we are nothing, right? So we come to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. And if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So he gives us an illustration. And so you wonder why sometimes you can come to church or go to a church and, oh man, it was such a good service. The spirit was moving. Man, the way that she sang that song, I had the chill bumps. And you go home and... Hear it? Do you hear it? Do you hear it? Do you hear it? Do you hear it? It's going to resonate. It got your attention. But without love, it's just going to stop. It fades away into nothingness. Without love, we are nothing. So he says, man, you could give away all that you have. This morning, you could come in here and drop it all in the bucket. Give away all that you have. You can deliver up your body to be burned, which many men and women have done. But have not love, I gain nothing. I gain nothing. Your service without love is nothing. Thank God for your service, but the motive has to be love. If it's not rooted and grounded in love. So Galatians 2 and 20 says, I have been crucified 
with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. At the heart of love is sacrifice, is selflessness. And so Paul would say, I have been crucified with Christ. That is the heart of love, right? There's no greater love, Jesus said, than that a man would lay down his life for a friend. Will you lay down your life for me? Will I lay down my life for you? Let's pray for that kind of love. So the test of a tree's root is what? It's a storm. And the test of a building's foundation is what? It's a storm. So let's pray to be rooted and grounded in love. And next, let us pray that our church family would have the power to comprehend Christ's love. So the focus shifts here from love in general to Christ's love for us. And in verse 18, we see it, that we might have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. Comprehend, that word means to seize, that I might seize it, that I might lay hold of it, that I might have the power to seize it. But the truth is, I cannot hold something that cannot be held. There's a paradox here. To comprehend the uncomprehensible. Let us pray, church, that we might comprehend the uncomprehensible. That is the depth and the magnitude of his love. And the first thing we see is that this type of love, the love of Christ, this agape love, this sacrificial love, it cannot be comprehended naturally. It's not a humanly attainable goal. As we make him a lifetime guest and we grow in the direction of maturity, we experience it, don't we? We're, we're not naturally loving people. Oh, that's just a loving dude. No, I'm not. We're not naturally loving people. We're naturally selfish. We're naturally self-centered. We're naturally unlovable and unloving. We need God's power to comprehend, right? So it's not something that we can know naturally. And the second thing is this, it must happen in community. To comprehend the love of Christ, we have to be in community. You can hear about God at home listening to the live stream, but you cannot truly comprehend the love of Christ apart from the community of the body of Christ. Prayer is not that we might love Christ more. That wasn't the prayer. It wasn't, 
It wasn't even that, that we might love one another more, but that together we would be able to grasp the immense love that he has for us. It's not intellectual, although there is an intellectual nature to it, but it is experiential. Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us. Comprehend this, church. Let's pray to comprehend this, that God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's something worth comprehending and meditating upon. Comprehend that. And what does it say? To comprehend it with all the saints. That's the community. With all the saints. So there's two ways that that, that can happen. One way, and I think it's an important way, is through our testimonies or our stories to one another and to others. So we just did a series at Home of Christian where most of the pastors here were able to share their testimony, something in their life where God made a difference. And so those things are impactful. I, rem I listened to uh, Pastor Manny share his testimony a week ago at Home of Christian, and it was riveting. It showed me the immense love of God. So through testimonies, reading biographies, studying about great saints of God from different eras, and seeing how God has poured out his love lavishly upon them. But it's also experiential. Christ's love is demonstrated. We begin to comprehend it in the body of believers among all saints. We begin to comprehend it as we do life together. Love is demonstrated to us through children's ministry, to, through Elevate, through a D group, a life group, through outreach, through men's ministry, through women's ministry, through marriage ministry, by coming on Wednesday night, by serving in the foyer, by serving in the parking lot, by serving on, on the media team, by serving on the worship team. We comprehend God's love when we do life together. It's that important. John Stott said this. I believe it is beautiful. He said, it needs the whole people of God to understand the whole love of God. We work things out when we have differences of opinions or when we hurt each other. We learn to deal with relational difficulties. We learn to show forbearance. We learn to show patience. We learn to show kindness. We learn to show forgiveness. Those are all the things 1 Corinthians 13 told us we need to be doing. You think about Matthew. Matthew, the disciple, he was a tax collector. He worked for the present, for like what would be our present day IRS. I have a good friend who works for the IRS. When I go eat out with him, he sits with his back to the door. It's a true story. Because people don't like IRS agents. Well, people hated the tax collectors in their day. They were considered traitors, saddling up with the Romans for monetary benefit, but they thought it was best to cooperate with the Romans. And then you had somebody like Simon the Zealot. He was a political hothead. He is like the kind that would have stormed the, the capital 
on January 6th. He, he was all about insurrection. And so you had these two opposites, and Christ brings them together in love. Pray that we could comprehend the love of Christ because it, it makes our differences nothing. 1 John 4 and verse 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. In us. In us. And if we look at Paul's prayer... In Ephesians 3, 14 times you will see the word us, we, our, and one another. Community. We comprehend the love of Christ in community. So we must be rooted, we must be grounded in love. We pray that we would be able to comprehend with this church community the love of Christ. And next, we pray, or we must pray, that we might persevere to know the unknowable. So in Ephesians 3 and 18, we might have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is a deliberate paradox. As I said earlier, we can know something. In fact, we can know more than just something. We can know mysteries we can know these things we it's not i'm not talking about speculation there's some things we speculate about but no we can know these things but we can never know it completely as first corinthians 13 says we right now it's like looking through this mirror dimly we know in part but there's coming a day when we will know even as we are known. John 21, 25 kind of like blows me away. Now there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written? I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And if we were to really uh, write about the love of Christ, the world could not contain those books because everything he did was about his love. And so Paul conceptualizes this love or comprehending this love in four dimensions, which just kind of turns our human thinking on head because we normally see things in three dimensions, but Paul gives us four dimensions here. So he says here that you would know the breath. That is, love encompasses a great multitude from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue, from every ethnicity, from every economic background, his love encompasses a great multitude. Another dimension 
in comprehending his love is the length of it. It stretches for eternity, right? It stretches. Look at first at uh, Ephesians chapter uh, 1 and verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. That's the length of it. Before the foundations of the world, he loved you. Before he ever laid any foundation, he loved you. He loved me. That is the length of his love. And then Paul speaks about the height of it, the love uh, that seats us in heavenly places. We see in Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is love. And that we might know the depth of it. What is the depth? That even when we were dead in our trespasses, he died for us. So we see Love that reaches down to pull us out of sin. Amen? Finally, brethren, we come to the last point. We must pray that knowing the love of Jesus would result in spiritual maturity. So as he reaches the last rung, we know this love of Christ that is surpassing knowledge He says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the top rung of Spurgeon's Jacob ladder. Having all that God is filled us to overflowing. God increasing as we decrease, as we die. He lives. He truly inhabits the throne of my mind. He truly inhabits the throne of my emotions. He truly inhabits the throne of my will. Ephesians 4.13 says that we would attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ. So we have to pray, brothers and sisters, that we would be rooted and grounded in God's love. We have to pray that as a church family, we would have a power to comprehend the love of Christ. And we pray that we might persevere to know the unknowable. We must pray that knowing the love of Jesus would result in spiritual maturity in our lives. Paul would say, I press on to the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I think about those stories that senior drill instructor, Staff Staff Sergeant LaGuardia taught 
and shared with us. Beginning at that night, but every night, every night, he would tell us stories of these great men and women of the Corps and great patriots. And I would hear these stories of love. But then I began to serve with those men. And as time went by, I found out, even in those three months, that senior drill instructor, Staff Sergeant LaGuardia, even though many times he called me a maggot, he loved me. He truly loved me. And he taught me about love in a Marine Corps boot camp. And it was modeled to me But the greatest model was seeing it worked out in the lives of my dad, my mom, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, my pastors, my friends in the church. They taught me to comprehend the love of Christ in the way I parent my children or serve my wife or pastor the church. God's love is always a sacrificial love. Pray that we aren't noisy gongs. There's a lot of noisy gongs. I have been in a lot of noisy gong churches. Let's be more than that. Let's be rooted and grounded in love. Let's pray that we might comprehend the love of Jesus. Amen. Romans chapter 8. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord.